All right. Well, it is a joy to be with you. I am Jake Ledette, one of the pastors here, and it's always just a joy to open God's Word with you. Um, you can go ahead and turn to Isaiah 6. Uh, that is where we'll be this morning. Um, and uh, first, I just want to say thank you. So many of you have uh, reached out and been so kind and so generous to uh, Ginger and I and prayed for our family. Um, if you didn't hear it from last week's service, my older brother, Lonnie, um, unexpectedly passed away at the age of 42 this last week. And so we were actually in Odessa this week uh, at the funeral. And as I kept trying to turn my attention to uh, the end of Nehemiah to kind of really close out our series, uh, to be honest with you, I just couldn't do it. Uh, my heart, my mind were just kind of uh, stuck in, in this place of losing my brother. And um, and so I, I, I feel like the Lord has something uh, different uh, for us this morning. Um, and, and what you may not know is that um, my brother was actually the third person to uh, pass away in this new little church uh, as part of our little family that we've had uh, a couple other families that have lost loved ones recently. The Sloans uh, lost Mandy's brother. He, he was 30 years old. Um, and the Seraldis lost Abigail's mom at 47 years old. Uh, and so that's just a lot of loss uh, for this new little church uh, to experience and to go through. And uh, and although I do believe God has much for us to at the end of Nehemiah, and I think we will close that out uh, soon, um, I believe, again, there's just a different direction the Spirit wants us to go uh, this morning. As, as I mentioned last week in the call to worship, uh, the scriptures actually encourage us uh, and, and exhort us to consider uh, death. I read this last week, and I'll read it again. Ecclesiastes 7.2 says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. And obviously, we all just spent a week feasting. And, and to be honest with you, the Bible says a lot about feasting and that we should feast and uh, we should celebrate. And there's uh, much to be had in that. But but Ecclesiastes is saying there's, there's something um, deeper. There, there's something more on the kind of the soul level that happens uh, when we consider uh, death. Ecclesiastes 7 2 goes on to say, For it is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. And so, again, the Bible acknowledges the universal truth that there is just something about uh, the moment of considering death that makes us contemplate life. And the Bible says that it's actually a really healthy thing to do. But even, even when we do that, we, we can come to all kinds of different conclusions, and we actually do come to all kinds of different conclusions. As you think about it, if as the atheist considers uh, death, uh, if, even if you're just thinking about uh, if the atheist is saying, what has gone on with my brother? It's saying my brother is experiencing nothing at this moment, that this life is all there is, and there is no more to be experienced, and he simply just doesn't exist anymore. And basically, if that's the truth, then we should all eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Uh, I think a popular concept even right now as we think about uh, karma. It just seems like in our culture, it's it's kind of acceptable and okay to, to, to be honest with you, embrace and mention any religion except for Christianity. And, and one of the popular things you'll see in many movies and shows and different things are just Buddhist elements like uh, karma, where, you know, if you do good enough, then uh, you, you know, in the end, maybe you'll be in re reincarnated to some higher being, um, or if you've done bad, then you'll be reincarnated as some lower being. And then even in this life, just when good happens to you, it's because you've done good. When bad happens to you, it's because you've done bad. It's a very a works-based 
uh, reality. There's no grace in that. Or, or I think what is even more common nowadays is as people genuinely contemplate death and, and what happens when we die, or uh, even what we should think about, uh, how we should think about God and religion in, in this life is, is basically we piecemeal all of these different things from different religions uh, and say, you know what, I want this from this religion, I want this from Christianity, uh, this uh, from Buddhism, and this from whatever else. Uh, and we put them together and say, you know what, I think this is uh, the truth that we should believe. And these are the truths uh, that we should reject. It's kind of like that um, famous elephant metaphor that, you know, everybody, you know, all the different religions or everybody's kind of got a blindfold on and they're feeling around an elephant and, and each person kind of represents this different religion, but it's all this one big elephant. But the, the thing that's wrong with that metaphor is the person telling it obviously has supreme knowledge. They've put themselves in the place of God saying, I know what's right and I know what's wrong and I can see everything and all these blind people can't see anything. And we put ourselves in kind of this arrogant position of knowing uh, what people should and shouldn't believe. And uh, instead of considering that maybe there's something that, that has been passed down for thousands of years from generation to generation, uh, maybe there's something we can learn from. And the, quite simply, the Bible puts forward just a, a reality that stands opposed to every one of those. Um, and if what the Bible says is true, it's just really the most important thing about any of our lives. As I think about my brothers, I think about people that have passed away, I, I, I'm actually drawn to Isaiah 6 and think about, man, what they're experiencing is, is more like Isaiah 6 than any thing else. And, and I think we, ha you know, we have light ways of talking about people passing away and, and death and what people are experiencing in death. And to be honest with you, heaven's going to be full of all kinds of things where we're just hanging out and having a good time and celebrating. But I, I do think Isaiah 6 helps us plumb the depths and get to the heart of what people are really experiencing. Um, and it helps uh, helps kind of cut through some of the superficiality and the the flippantness in which we sometimes talk about uh, what people might be experiencing once they die. Because there's nothing flippant and superficial about Isaiah six. As I, as I read this, just just imagine you're in the most vast place you've ever been. Imagine you're in the, the, the biggest stadium you've ever been, maybe even the biggest natural uh, place you've ever been, the highest mountains, the Grand Canyon, just somewhere you've been in person, but it's just incredibly vast. And, and then put yourself in Isaiah's spot here in Isaiah 6, and where it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. If we just take a second to settle in and just consider God in his holiness and his glory and his splendor as Isaiah lays, lays before us here, if this, is, uh, if this God is the only place we can put our hope, what hope does any of us have? 
Even Isaiah, a, a religious man, he sees him and realizes he's done. He's finished. He's as good as dead. These angels, these perfect beings, that beings that, that when they show up in the scriptures, you know, we do all kinds of things with angels in our culture. We make them cute. We make them fun. We make them, you know, where we can kind of palette them. But when we see them show up in the scriptures, people treat them as Isaiah is treating God. They fall down as if they're dead before them to worship them. These angels that are perfectly created are covering their face or covering their feet and they're crying out what is most true about this God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We, we, we see uh, that this God is holy. Again, even a, a religious man like Isaiah has no hope in light of this. What, what is true of this God and what we see of God in this, in this passage is, is, is simply not true of us. He is holy and we are unholy. He, he is perfect and we are sinful. And him is light and in us is darkness. He is always right. He has never done wrong. He is perfect in his justice. We are seeking after our own selfish desires, wanting everything, wanting justice for everyone else and expecting mercy for ourselves. If this is us and this is God, I'll ask again, what hope does anyone have in this world. You see, if God is just holy, we are, we are all lost and without hope in this world because we are not holy. The Bible does not downplay the rebellion that you and I have been a part of. We've looked upon God, upon a holy God and said, I know better. I can, I can figure out what is best for me. I don't need what you have communicated to me in your word. I don't need what you have done for me in the gospel. I don't need your spirit to lead and guide and teach me wisdom. We've said, I have all the wisdom I need. I have all the strength that I need. I have everything I need without you. Actually, I'm better off without you even if you do exist, but you probably don't even exist. Or if there is a God that exists, I have all that I need within me to know how to follow him perfectly. That's how we often live out uh, this, this, this reality that we, we don't need God. The scriptures actually talk about it in this way. In Psalm 10, verse four, it says, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Or Psalm 10, 10 11, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Or Jeremiah 17, nine and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Or do you put your hope in religion, the, the ability to do right? Isaiah 64, 6 says, we've all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. It, it all pushes us actually to Hebrews 10, 31 that says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I feel like sometimes in life we're so removed from Isaiah's response to this God. And granted, Isaiah is seeing God in his glory and his holiness, but the scriptures lays this before us that we might see God in that same way. Have you ever thought, have you ever had that moment of Hebrews 10.31 that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Or have you always thought, no, I'm kind of all right. I'm good with God. It'll, everything will be fine whether by trying to earn our way to God or by outright rebellion, we all find ourselves before this holy God. And in this life, we have two options. 
forsake everything I just read in God's word about us and go our own way or to be humbled by it. To forsake it is to remain estranged from God, alienated and hostile in mind towards him, as Colossians 1.21 says. But to be humbled under it, there begins hope. It isn't everything, but it is the beginning. To, to hear what God's word says about you, and then to agree with Isaiah, woe is me, for I am lost. The reality of this holy God did not make a way, there would be no way. Isaiah was humbled and God made a way for him. If you see in uh, verses six and seven, it says, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So one of the seraphim, likely one that has just been calling out, holy, 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 stoops down to Isaiah. Touches his mouth with a burning coal and his sin has been atoned for. Isaiah humbled himself and God made a way. And in this, we get a, a fuller picture of God's character. God is not just holy, but he's also full of steadfast love and grace and mercy and compassion the same God being worshipped here in Isaiah 6 stoops even lower than the angels. We learn from John that it's, it's Jesus, it's our Lord Jesus sitting upon this throne and being worshipped in this way. And then he stoops even lower than the angels to be born as a baby. That's what we're celebrating during this season. Um, but if you see the holiness of Jesus, his coming as a baby is all the more miraculous. It's not separate from that, it's in light of that. And in the midst of his perfect life and ministry, we see, we see Jesus offer this incredible call in Matthew 11. This holy God that is worshipped above all makes this call to you and to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So my brother's only hope is also your and my only hope, that Jesus made a way by living a perfect life, dying on the cross for the real sin that is present in yours and my life, and resurrecting from the grave to show that he alone has power over Satan, sin, and death. The reality that death does not have the final say because there is someone more powerful than even death is miraculous. This God that is holy has made a way, and it isn't just for the Isaiahs of the world. It is to anyone who would humble themselves and admit their burden and need for all of Jesus, all he is and all he's done. Are you the adulterer, the sexually broken, the addicted? Are you burdened by the shame of things done to you? Are you the one that has done shameful things? Are you a murderer? Are you a religious zealot? Have you burned every bridge? every relationship in your life? Or are you popular, put together, the envy of all of your friends? It doesn't matter. The need is the same. And more importantly, the invitation goes out to all from the mouth of the only one that has the power to make this invitation. Our response is to come to him. Just simply come. 
not tidying up, not changing our clothes, not getting our act together, not trying to prove ourselves, but just to come as we are, acknowledging all that he is. Here in a little bit, we're actually going to sing a song called Come All You Unfaithful. Listen to, listen to the words of this, this song. It says, Come, all you unfaithful. Come, weak and unstable. Come, know you are not alone. Come, O barren and waiting ones. Weary of praying, come. Bitter and broken, with tears unspoken, and taste of his perfect love. Guilty and hiding ones, there is no need to run. See what your God has done. The reality is this is our only hope. I think the New City Catechism sums it up well when it asks the question, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you belong to him? There's a difference between acknowledging God created everyone so we're all his children and answering the call that Jesus puts out in Matthew 11. And saying, Jesus, I'm tired. My burden's too heavy. Will you take it from me? Will you teach me? I need you. Have you done that? Have you humbled yourself under the truth of the word and answered the call to come to Jesus? For those that have answered that call, the hope is that we live our todays in light of that final Isaiah 6 kind of day. That, that the scriptures put that picture before us that we might see where we're going and where we're headed and what we're called to, that that, that, that not just be a far-off reality, but that far-off reality would actually inform and encourage us in the days we live even now. And this doesn't mean living a life in a way that people will say good things about you when you die at your funeral. If that's your goal, that will be your reward. Here's what this means. It means that we are living for the one that lived for us. That we're waiting for the day that we get to see this Jesus. If what you're most excited about in heaven is not seeing Jesus, you need to get to know this Jesus. It's been so good to you. To live in light of that final day is to forsake anything that doesn't bring fame to the to the name of Christ. And here's one of the main ways we do that. We, we actually press into what's hard in our life, not escape from it. So some of us escape to what we call God's will for our life instead of pressing into the hardness that is right in front of us. We look for the easy fix to our lives and say, this must be God's will. All the while, God's will is staring at us in the face and we keep turning our head looking for an easier way. It's staring at us in the face of a hard parenting decision. It's staring at us in the face of a pet sin that we just leave hanging around and don't want to really do battle with. It's staring us in a relational strife that we don't want to engage and press into. It's staring at us in the life of financial impulsiveness that we just won't acknowledge. It's staring us in the face of the hardness and the reality of the life that we're living, where God's will would call us to engage. Um, but often we, we just want an easy fix, and so we turn the other way. I, I think you need to not think about what big decision do I need to make in my life in light of that final day? 
think more like, how do I live for that final day in the hundreds of small decisions I make every day? And then pursue God in those areas with reckless abandon. What we do is that we think about these big decisions and giving it all up and going live for God in one day when we need to die a thousand deaths every day and live with reckless abandon for the sake of Christ and the ordinary things that we do. So often some of those other things are just an escape. And, and again, God may be calling us to do something big, but he doesn't do that in spite of what's in front of us. Um, this Jesus that invites us will, will keep all who answer. Nothing or, or no one else will have the final word in those that Jesus calls. Not death, not addiction, not sin. Who Jesus holds fast will be held to the end. There are funerals that, uh, as I think about different funerals you've attended or I've attended, there are funerals that are really worshipful and encouraging. There are funerals that are a little more unknown, and there are funerals that, that seem really void of much hope. The reality is whether the, the person that died was the most saintly person or the least saintly person, everyone's only hope is not in what we can do, but in what Jesus has done for us. We, we get that picture in Isaiah 6 that we have no, no hope. If God doesn't make a way, there is no way to be had. And it's what he's done, not what we have done. I, I want to offer just a, 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 some comfort to those that have lost recently, including myself, to Maybe those that this kind of stirs up loss in your life. Um, I want to just end by offering some words about losing someone. One, I just want to encourage us to embrace the grief that comes with death. One of the clearly sad things about death is that we no longer get to experience that person. With my brother, I will no longer experience his laugh. I'll not get to play another uh, game of poker with him. I'm not going to see his ridiculous celebration dance um, and so many other things. And along with that, I, I will miss, I, I have things I want for him that are, that are just no longer options. So that leaves just lingering questions like, why didn't I reach out more? Why didn't I go see him in Odessa? Why didn't I have one more conversation about how he was doing with Jesus? Not necessarily questioning whether he was a Christian, but encouraging him to walk more fully in what he believed and, and to remind him of how, how much God loves him. Just to remind him how much God knows. God knows how hard life is. God knows how hard addiction is because God knows everything. So yours might be similar, similar questions you have. Uh, and then obviously you'll have unique ones that are unique to the relationship with the person that you lost. But these are just natural thoughts and questions as we consider death. So I just encourage you, embrace that grief. Don't hold back tears, embrace them. Don't keep them to yourself. Talk to people about what you're thinking about. I, I was just driving around with Lily the other day and listening to dumb songs and my brother loved dumb songs. And uh, I was thinking how much he would have loved that moment. And so it was just really sad. And so I invited people into that and shared that 
with people. Don't, don't keep that stuff to yourself. Don't hold them back and don't keep them to yourself. And, and often I feel like we're, we're tempted to use God's sovereignty to dismiss the grief of death. And we, we just really shouldn't do that. God is sovereign over all life and death. But, but we shouldn't. When, when the Bible talks about death, it talks about it as a tragic and sorrowful reality. That's a biblical view of death. Even just think of Philippians 2. Paul's talking about Epaphras almost dying. And he says this in Philippians 2, 26, for Epaphras has been longing for you and all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. The, the, the Bible says that we should view death as this grievous, tragic, sorrowful reality. And so we need to embrace the grief that comes with death. And as you embrace, don't think it has to look the same for everyone. Um, and, and don't even think you have to know exactly how you should act. I remember right after my brother, I got the news that my brother died. I just didn't even know what I should or shouldn't do. And there's just not a way to know what you should or shouldn't do in those moments and in continuing moments as days and weeks uh, go by. And so don't compare, but embrace what that looks like for you. And then I would just encourage you, death tends to create really hard questions and don't ignore those questions. God has much to say to you uh, in your grief. He's not too small for your heavy questions and he's not scared of your honesty. But I would encourage you as you look to Jesus in your suffering and in your loss, and as you bring your questions to him, which I would encourage you to not just have those questions, but to pray those questions, I think it's good to, as you think about your suffering, remember Jesus and his suffering. And, and take your questions to the cross. You may not get the answers to many of your whys. You probably won't get the answer to hardly any of your whys, but you will get God's ultimate answer. And in that, sometimes the hardness of those questions is softened. As you look upon the father who is willing to send his only son, as you look upon the son who is willingly to lay down his life, and as you seek the spirit who applies those deep eternal truths to the reality of the suffering that you're experiencing, even now, that you would take your questions to the cross. And so, brothers and sisters, as, as a church, I, I just pray that we would be free to reach out in times of grief, to listen, to share stories. It was one of the things my, my kids didn't know my brother really well because he lived in Odessa the past seven years, and uh, he didn't come out much, kind of a homebody. And one of the first things Sophie asked was like, hey, can you just tell me a story about him? Um, and so that we'd be free in grief to reach out, to share stories, to listen uh, to one another and to be a part of each other's lives uh, in that way. That we would laugh together, that we would cry together, and that we would come around this God together and seek the hope and peace and comfort that can only be found in him. And so let me pray for us towards that end. Father, would you teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom? And would you teach us that this heart of wisdom isn't in focusing on all we can do or how perfect we can be, but is continuing to realize all that you have done for us, who you are and who we are not, and that in spite of all of that, you have made a way. 
that God, you are lifted up and we are brought low. And in that you stoop down to us. And you say, come, say, come to me. I see, I know. You don't have to hide anything from me. I've made a way, all of those things you want to hide, I've made a way for you in light of those very things. That at our worst, you found us. That at the right time, you died for the ungodly, Lord Jesus. That as we, in the, in the biggest need of our life, that is the very uh, place that your redemption and your life and death and resurrection has most power even to heal and to redeem and to, to work. And to Think about just the, the most tragic thing that any of us will experience is the thing that is we are all destined for, which is death. And even in that, your power, your power has shown to be perfect. Your power has shown to be ultimate, that, that death does not even have the final word, but you, Lord Jesus, the firstborn among the dead, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That, that as you lead us in death, you lead us in resurrection to all that would answer that call and just come to you. And so, Spirit, even from this tragedy in my life, this tragedy and the life of the Sloans and the Seraldis and uh, the death that so many of us have experienced, God, would you, would you use that, that you might remind us of your goodness to us, your care for us, and that you might even expose those to your love, even now for the first time. I mean, they may see their need and they may answer the call to come. To you, Lord Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.